0: Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. When I was a kid, there was always music in the house. My father played piano. Stride. Big band music. By ear, mostly. My sister, 11 years older than I, played violin and piano, classical music. My brother, nine years older than I, played reeds, some percussion, marching band music. My mama was into church music. Needless to say, the family didn't play together. (laughs) And then there was me. I was the odd man out and not just by age. There was never an assumption or an expectation that I would play anything. I was the designated listener. (laughs) I was well-trained in that role. There are not many five-year-olds that know not to clap between the movements of a symphony. (laughs) I did. The family had some money at that time. And so my sister, who was by far the most talented of the whole family and also the the bearer of the burden of my father's frustrated musical ambitions, um, my sister played a nearly 200 year old fine Cremona violin. And when she was not playing that, she was playing the Steinway concert grand piano that dominated the house. The one back there, about the same size, but ours was a Steinway. That piano actually um, provided a very special place for me, the designated listener. I was so much smaller than everyone in the house that I was the only one who could crawl underneath the piano. And I could sit on the floor with my back against that third leg of the piano. I could see the feet of all those other people, but they couldn't see me. I was safe under there. And when my sister played, the music just swallowed me. I could feel it in my backbone. My brother and sister went away to university. My sister kept her violin, played recreationally. To my my father's chagrin, she became not a professional musician, but a social worker. The piano stayed in the house and it still dominated the house and became the center of a ritual that held that now three-person family together through my teenage years, which were no better than anybody else's teenage years. (laughs) My father settled into this little ritual. He would come home at the end of each day. He'd go straight to the piano. He would sit down and he would plunk his way through whatever the last tune was that he heard on the car radio on the way home. (laughs) And he'd plunk around till he'd found it. He'd mess with it a little bit. He'd maybe play one or other two, you know, one or two other tunes that he knew. And then he would always settle in the same spot. A fat swallow tune, Honeysuckle Rose. He'd play that through once or twice and it was time for dinner. This made a safe space at dinner for all of us. So fast forward now, life goes on, it's 2011, Uh, I've settled in Portland, I'm trying to make some connections and make some friends, and I meet this interesting lady. Turns out she's interesting despite the fact that she's a banjo player. (laughs) That's kind of inside, but I'm assuming from the laughter that some of you know banjo players. Um, Anyway, so I meet her, and and she calls me up and she says, so there's going to be this house concert, you want to go? I'm the designated listener, so yeah, sure, let's go. So we go to this house concert. It's a bluegrass band from Spokane. Now, let me full stop for just a second. If you haven't picked it up yet from my accent, I grew up in the South. So here are these folks who ain't ever been East Mississippi River. And they're singing about how much they miss West Virginia. Trust me, if they'd ever been to West Virginia, they wouldn't miss it. (laughs) So they're, they're singing and playing, but there is this fiddle player. This fiddle player is absolutely amazing. I am transfixed listening to this woman play. And they take their set break, and I turn to my friend, and I say, this fiddle player is incredible. And she looks at me and see, she, doesn't, she, she doesn't know that I'm the designated listener, have been in that role for 60 years. So she looks at me and she says, oh, well, then you should learn to play. No. So I can't explain all that. I just say, no, no that ain't happening, especially not at this age. No, 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 no. She looks at me and she says, I learned to play the banjo when I was 46. What's wrong with you? They play their second set. The fiddle player is even better. I want to send those other people home and just let her play. I'm just absorbed in this music. And I'm thinking. So they finish up, and I turn back to my friend, and I say, You know, um, like maybe, maybe if I started with piano, I could kind of like work into fiddle. She looks at me. She says, you don't have enough time. <laughs> if you're going to play the fiddle, play the fiddle. <laughs> okay. Not long after this, I was traveling in the East. And anytime I go to the East, I go to visit my sister. About 10 years ago, she was in a hellacious car crash. Damn near killed her. She was paralyzed for a time, lost speech. But with therapy, that all came back. But there's still residual medical issues, and you can't get that on the phone. So I like to just go and see her. And I had a second reason this time, because I was looking for some fiddle advice. As soon as I opened the subject, she just lit up, and she said, oh, well, you, you must have my instruments. Instruments, too. It turns out in the intervening years, our Aunt Margaret had died and my sister inherited a second violin. And I said, no, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. And she said, look, you know, after the wreck, it took a while, things came back, even the mobility with the cane, but it's all back. But the music didn't come back. It's gone. I can't hear it. I can't play it. You should have my instrument. But, condition, condition, you must take both of these violins to the best luthier you can find, have them put into playing condition, have written appraisals done and insure both of them. No problem, done. So I bring the instruments back to Portland. I take them to the best luthier in town, David Kerr down on Holgate at 28th. and. I can't tell you how out of my comfort zone I was when I walked into that shop carrying these two violins. I felt like I was walking into a gynecologist's office. <laughs> Put them on the counter. They said, come back in a week. Okay, so I come back in a week. And, and David Kerr himself brings the instruments out of the safe and he puts them on the counter my sister's instrument and his written appraisal, Aunt Margaret's instrument and his written appraisal, and he tells me about these instruments. It's as if he was talking about his children, the whole provenance, their life story. It's amazing, and it turns out that my sister's instrument really, beyond the musicality of that instrument and its provenance, it's an investment-grade instrument. Aunt Margaret's, yeah, not so much. (laughs) So he finishes telling me about the instruments, and then he sort of steps back. and And if you haven't met him, David Kerr is a little guy with great big glasses. So he sort of finishes, and he steps back, and he looks up at me over his glasses, and he says, "And uh, you are a beginner." <laughs> yeah. So yeah he processes that, again over the glasses, and he says, and uh, you will play bluegrass. (laughs) Yeah. And then, without breaking eye contact with me, he closed the case with my sister's violin. (laughs) And he said, I think you'll enjoy this instrument. And in fact, I do enjoy that instrument. I found a class at PCC with the incredibly patient Eileen Walter. And on the first night, she said, this is how you open the case. (laughs) Perfect, just what I needed. And then a whole chain of incredibly patient, generous teachers. Um, The the grand dame of old-time music in Oregon, Linda Danielson. Um, The amazing Jenny Humphrey, the list is quite long. Donna Wynn, some of you who play may have met some of these people. And sort of at the top of the heap, uh, the man who I think inherited Job's patience. Um, His name is Greg Stone, and every Saturday morning over in Mount Tabor, he collects a bunch of beginners who are trying to learn bluegrass, And he shows us the way. And all of these people have shared all of the secrets. They're holding nothing back. They're inviting you in. And together, they have all given me what my father had. So now, at the end of the day, I've sort of settled into a pattern. I get out my fiddle, Aunt Margaret's fiddle. And, and I work on whatever I'm working on, you know? So all the regular tunes. Try to find that tune, it's in there somewhere. You kind of work with it and sooner or later you find it. And then there's some old favorites that I've really worked on that I practice. And then I always end up kind of back in the same spot (laughs) with probably what is my favorite tune. It's an old Carter family tune called May the Circle Be Unbroken. It goes kind of like this. I play that through a time or two, and it's time for dinner.